0: Welcome to the St. Andrew's Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here.
1: Certain stories in the Gospels simply do not seem plausible to the rational, sophisticated, enlightened brilliant minds of modern readers. We are, after all, so smart and educated. We're so certain about what's true reality, what's purely fantasy. So when we hear words like demons and exorcisms, we might dismiss it as naive, superstitious, mythological unenlightened nonsense that has no relevance to our 21st century world. But the wise will read between the lines and look beyond what seems entirely unreasonable in search of some deeper truth that speaks to the universal and timeless struggles of being human. The struggles of longing for community and compassion. The struggles of those crying out for liberation from worldly powers and principalities that are beyond their control. In this way, the wise understand that in certain gospel stories, the word demon can simply be a placeholder for whatever worldly power possesses the human spirit in this age. And exorcism can be just another word for the redemptive means by which God liberates and restores the possessed human spirit to fullness of life. It's something to consider as you hear now what is arguably the most graphic (laughs) exorcism story in all the Gospels. Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. Then they arrived at the region of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As Jesus stepped out on the shore, a man from the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had not worn any clothes and he did not live in the house but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, shouting, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding. And the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd stampeded down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swineherd saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. And then people came out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man for, from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they became frightened. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then the whole throng of people, the surrounding regions, of the garrisons, asked Jesus to leave them for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. And the man from whom the demons had gone out begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And so he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word.
0: Terry Jones did an amazing job of introducing this song to you last week. We're going to continue singing it throughout this sermon series, and the sisters are going to lead you this morning. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself love the lord your god with all your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself let us be known let us be known by the way The Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind And love your neighbor as yourself
2: Well friends before I get started I'm going to borrow just a, a tickle of your time To say thank you Over the past week I've received emails and letters and handshakes and hugs I want you to know These things are sacred moments for me. They are treasured gifts that I keep in my heart. So from this old boy to all of you, thank you. This morning, we continue with part two of our new sermon series entitled, Would You Be Mine? The Art of Neighboring. Over the next few weeks, we will be looking at what it means to be good neighbors who are committed to building nourishing, healthy neighborhoods. This week, as you heard Rev. Mark, Our reading comes from the Gospel According to Luke. The Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles comprise one two-volume composition. Authorship of the Gospel of Luke is traditionally associated with this person we know as the beloved physician, spoken of frequently in the epistles of Paul. Conventional scholarship indicates that Luke was comprised at some point in the late first century. And from the beginning, I have to tell you, the eloquent and sophisticated language of Luke presents as a treatise of sorts. A treatise attempting to illustrate the seamless salvation history flowing through Jewish, Roman, and dare I say, cosmic history. Related to this theme is Luke's interest in addressing the identity of this early growing Christian community from within Judaism. The author is reliant upon the scriptures of Israel, and he has several references to Jewish customs and practices. All of these things combine to provide the reader with a sense that this new Christian movement is nothing more than a continuation, you see, of the existence of Jewish history, finding its fulfillment in our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's set the, the scene for our story today. Jesus is crossing over the Sea of Galilee to the land of the Gerasenes, which means he's not just crossing a sea Beloved, he is crossing boundaries because this land of the Gerasenes is the land of Gentiles. And believe me when I tell you, no self-respecting Jewish rabbi would be taking a band of followers there. And when he gets there, he is confronted almost immediately by a man who is possessed. Actually, he's more than possessed. This guy is occupied. He is occupied. Right? Because that's what a legion was. It was a unit by which the Roman military organized itself. And this guy isn't possessed by just one unclean spirit, but rather he is occupied by a host of them dozens, hundreds, more. Well, to be honest, we don't know. Though, for what it's worth, in the Roman army, a legion designated 6,000 individual soldiers. So you could be pretty sure that when the author of Luke employs this term, it is to impress upon us that it was a lot. It was a lot. I have to tell you, I find it particularly devastating that he has no name, no identity left, except for what he is captive to. But more on that later. His story is tragic. He is alone, wandering the tombs, a place of utter desolation and uncleanness. He's clearly a frightening hazard to himself and to others. But nonetheless, Jesus heals him sending the host of demons to inhabit and drive mad a herd of pigs." Now, beloved, keep in mind that although this detail may be troubling for some of you, and me particularly, that are fond of animals, losing a herd of pigs in the first century was really not that big of a deal, especially if you were Jewish. So, um, <laughs> we're gonna have to get over that part. Um, so, in re- so in response to this, this healing, the people are amazed, of course, albeit maybe a little uncomfortable. Um, the man is grateful, and of course, he wants to follow Jesus, but Jesus tells him surprisingly to stay where he is and share the word of what God has done for him in his own homeland. Now, at this moment, I imagine you're looking down at your bulletins rereading a sermon series title and our theme for today, and you're wondering what the heck this little ditty is doing here this morning. <laughs> I mean, look, I get it, the story of the garrison demoniac is a tough one for us 21st century Christians as Rev. Mark alluded to. It's tough for us to enter into because it's full of details that, quite frankly, we find bizarre. I mean, chatty demons, really, Uh, suicidal swine, are you kidding, instantaneous healings, that's ridiculous. I mean, isn't this the stuff of like a dark comedy or some 1990s horror flick, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, how is an ancient exorcism story good news for us this morning? as we think about what it means to be a connector. Now look, I know, I know, believe me, I know that much ink has been spilt in recent decades trying to address what contemporary Christians find antiquated and troubling about this story. Was the man really possessed by demons or just mentally ill? Isn't there a danger involved with conflating acute psychological suffering with evil? If the demons were real, why did Jesus negotiate with them? Why did he even show them any mercy at all? And y'all, what about those poor pigs? Why did they have to die to secure the demoniac's healings? And and lest we forget the townspeople, what about the economic welfare of these pig-herding townspeople who watched probably in utter horror as their livelihood disappeared over a cliff? These are valuable questions. I don't wanna shelve them or marginalize them, but I worry. I worry that focusing on these stranger parts of the story, that they might inhibit us from seeing how it can be our story, our here, our now. So indulge me, yes? Lean in a little bit to the text as I sidestep some of this weird stuff and examine aspects of this little encounter that I think are often overlooked, but nonetheless, altogether beautiful and convicting. First thing I wanna look at is this man, this man. I mentioned earlier that I find it absolutely devastating that he has no name, no identity left except for what he is captive to. In a heartbreaking moment within the story, for me anyway, Jesus comes to this man and asks him what his name is. And one of the hordes simply answers, Legion, for we are many. Look, this man's name is not Frank, Bob, Billy, or John. It's Legion. He has been completely erased, you see. Completely defined by what assails him. By what robs him of joy and health. By what hinders him and keeps him bound. By all of those things that keep him from experiencing life in its abundance. A nameless man. Exiled. To the margins of human existence, living in a tomb, living in isolation, devoid of connection. And here's the thing, beloved, I think a lot of us are not all that different. Don't we also tend to define ourselves in terms of our deficiencies, our setbacks, our disappointments? Our failures? Maybe not always, of course, but maybe just enough to rob us of the abundant life that God hopes that we experience and share. Why is it that every single time we want to take a risk and in this way be vulnerable, we are reminded of every failure, every disappointment that we've ever experienced before? Perhaps, and I'm just spitballing here, because we've allowed these things, dare I say, to possess us to define us, we are legion. How many in this room, in our workplaces and our neighborhoods are overwhelmed by the voices raging at them from without and from within, just completely erasing their identity and, and driving them to places of extreme loneliness and despair? So what's next? You still looking for good news? I promise it's coming, it's coming. Well, I would submit to all of you that this little story is not only, or perhaps not even primarily a miracle healing story, rather it is a story focused on reconciliation and restoration. Look at what happened. In one simple, albeit dramatic moment, Jesus just removes this legion of maladies He gets rid of all the voices teeming from within this man. And in an instant, this man is what? Clothed and in his right mind. Friends, Jesus restores this man's identity. He makes him whole once more. And beloved, Jesus is still crossing boundaries to do just that. He is still coming into the strange and unfamiliar world of our failure-ridden, lack-driven lives to cast out our demons. Jesus says to us again and again that we are more than the sum total of our past failures and disappointments. We are God's beloved children, forgiven, healed of our disappointments, and blessed every moment with an open future. And so also Jesus comes to tell us that no matter how many advertisements we see telling us to the contrary, we are not insufficient or undeserving of love. Indeed, I would argue that the whole point of Jesus's ministry, life, and mission is to tell us or rather to show us just how much God loves us. That's the whole ball of wax, I think. This lost, nameless, garrisoned man Jesus encounters is bewildered, isolated, without identity, but Jesus connects with him, restoring him, and he gives him back his true identity. So also Jesus gives us our identity. It's the identity first announced to us at baptism, I think, when we were washed with water, marked with the cross of Christ, and sealed with the Holy Spirit, yes, forever. Yeah, let me say that again, forever. And so when we lose our identity, when we feel trapped by our past hurts or possessed by a culturally induced sense of lack, we are bidden to come back to that moment of baptism when our identity was restored and be reminded once again of just how much God loves us. You know, it is said that the 16th century Martin Luther Felt oppressed by the devil. He wrote about this quite graphically um, all over the place. And, and and when he felt this way, he would take courage by shouting, I am baptized. I am baptized. Beloved, it really works. I did it like 15 times on I-25 on my way in this morning. It's, it's liberated. It's wonderful, I am baptized. In this way, you see, Luther grounded his confidence of salvation in God's external objective act of drawing him into the Christian family through the water and word of baptism. Summarily, the names and claims that the voices of this world may shout at us do not have the last word. We can declare that God claims us again and again and always as God's own beloved children. And in this way, we may announce God's promise, restoring to those around us the name and identity given to them, you see, by God. Another little informative detail of the narrative this morning is found in the scene's location itself. After calming a storm at sea in the previous scene in Luke's Gospel, we are told that Jesus and his disciples continued on their journey and quote, they arrived at the region of the Gerasenes which is opposite the Galilee. Now full transparency, there is a lot of debate among scholars as to the exact location of this scene, but one thing is absolutely certain, my friends, the disciples are not in Kansas anymore. Right, They are not in Kansas anymore. This land of the Garrison is 150% Gentile der- territory. I mean, beloved, for goodness sakes, these people raise pigs for a living. right? This is not where you expect to find any right-minded Jewish person. Yet here we are on the opposite side of the sea with these unclean people. Do you see what just happened? The movement? Jesus went to them wasn't waiting for them, Jesus went to them. And that should tell us something. In some sense, being an instrument, you see, of God's redeeming love means living on the margins, on the edges where those who have been outcast and abandoned dwell. In another sense, might mean crossing your street. (laughs) But I know this, we need to cross borders we need to cross borders. We need to move toward people if we are going to have any hope of building God's kingdom. There's this little book. It's called You Need to Get Out More by this guy named Rev Feldmeyer. You heard of him? <laughs> Shameless plug. It's for sale in our book alcove, by the way. Um, just kidding. <laughs> Rev Mark writes in this wonderful book, You Need to Get Out More. Whether you are mindful of it or not, you live with certain assumptions, biases, and beliefs which may keep you too close to home. The truth about us is that is, as often said, we don't know what we don't know. Every time we get out and cross one of these borders, we come to know a little bit more about ourselves and those with whom we share the sidewalk. This type of life, Rev. Mark goes on to explain, is, quote, a deeply incarnational journey into the neighborhood that is fueled by God's unwavering love and concern for those who are near to us and those who are unknown to us. Just as God's love for the world drove Jesus into our neighborhood to be with us and for us, this same love drives each of us from our isolation and fear to be with and for those whom God loves. Amen. That's a good word. Well done. That is a good word. And just as Jesus went to the garrisons, His followers today are called to step out of the boat on the opposite side. The mission of Jesus' followers is to take the healing and the liberating love of God to everyone. Everyone right where they are at. If only I could stop there. That'd be a good stopping point, wouldn't it? Don't agree with that, I'm just kidding. But Luke goes a little bit further in his gospel account of this garrisoned demoniac, so I feel I must too. One reason, I think, to embrace this story as our own is that it illustrates an unpleasant truth about human relationships. Now, I want you to hear me. The story suggests that the salvation of some creates the hostility of others. Did you hear me? The salvation of some creates the hostility of others. When these townspeople see that this demon-possessed man is healed, what do they do? They don't rejoice. They express no relief, no gratitude, no hospitality, no sense of awe. Instead, Luke tells us they recoil in fear and just tell Jesus to go away. What does that mean? Well, beloved, to be completely honest, I'm not sure. I've wrestled with it all week. I don't know what that means. Maybe it means we humans prefer to stick with the demons we know rather than embrace the freedoms that we don't. Maybe it means we need some people to be bad so that we can be good. Maybe it means the shackles and chains that bind so many of God's children are the instruments of our own cruel making, the weapons we willed to manage our own fears. Maybe it means we settle for tolerance instead of challenging ourselves to truly and holy love. Maybe it means the gospel doesn't always bring peace. I'm gonna let that sit for a minute. Maybe it means the gospel doesn't always bring peace. Maybe it also means it brings upheaval. Messing with our moral categories, our economic comforts, our social structures in ways that, quite frankly, we find offensive or at the very least, discomforting. Perhaps recognizing this aspect of the narrative reminds us of our need to work together. Y'all, this stuff, this love thing, is hard. (laughs) It's hard. We need God's help. And more than that, we need each other. The story ends with Jesus commissioning the healed man to stay right where he is and serve as the very first missionary to his townspeople. Think about that for a minute. The same townspeople who feared, shunned, trapped, and shackled this guy for years. And I have to admit, when I read this, it, it made me giggle a little bit. I mean, isn't that just like Jesus? That's just something Jesus would do, and it choose the very people that we consider the most unholy, the most unredeemable, the most repulsive and unworthy, and commissioned them to teach us the gospel. The one who was once homeless now has a home. The one who has experienced the power of the kingdom announces the kingdom to others. Oh my goodness, it reminds me of that pastor I heard as a kid said, there can be no testimony without what? A test. Oh my goodness, that's what makes it powerful, right? That's what he's called to do, to give his testimony to his people. Moreover, while there may be times when we are called to journey to unfamiliar parts in response to God's call, It may teach us that at other times, following Jesus may mean staying right where we are, bearing witness to the mighty acts of God we have experienced firsthand in our own lives. Maybe in this way, communal restoration is inextricably linked to individual healing as the one lost self leads others to discover anew their own possibilities and identities. Our story this morning from Luke, is weird (laughs) it's weird you can say that it's odd and yet it is profound I think about this man I've been thinking about him all week trailing broken chains behind him wandering the wilds tearing at his skin till it bleeds trading one kind of pain for another if this man has a name no one knows it if he has a history no one remembers it If he has a soul worth saving inside of his living corpse, no one sees it because no one looks until Jesus does. Jesus sees him even when the man cannot see himself. Jesus connects with him and his love restores and brings wholeness and new life. Most of us have heard of Fred Rogers and his amazing show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I would imagine that many of you and even some of you online at some point were touched by Fred's simple love projected through his beloved program. I I wonder what, what made it so special? Well, Fred's brand of loving your neighbor as yourself, remembering you're unique even if you don't feel that way or if other people make you think otherwise and imagining the possibilities of a world without hate was as transparent as his low-budget living room set. You see, Fred lived what he preached from that living room. And he treated each of his viewers like they were the only person in it. We loved Fred for that. We wanted to be his neighbor because he saw us and he wanted to be our neighbor. Fred encountered each living soul with a curious, imaginative love and saw in each person wondrous possibilities. I don't know about you, I wanna see like that. I wanna love like that. I wanna connect like that. So in honor of St. Fred, I will end with a little prayer that my beloved wife found written on the 50th anniversary of his very first show. Help us to love our neighbor, to see the sacred specialness in them, the way we long for others to see it in us. Give us this day an imagination, a place in our soul where we can make and believe, untethered to kingdoms that have lost their will to wonder. Lead us to our inner child, a place where we belong, in tennis shoes scuffed by curiosity, where a sureness quietly blossoms in not knowing everything. And deliver us from the things that hide us, that kidnap this gift, the good feeling it is to know we are alive.